Morgan here. In today's episode, we speak with funeral director Christy. If you're looking for the grossness and goriness of it all, this is not the episode for you. This episode deals more with Christy's personal journey and experiences, along with her career. We talk about the business of it as well. We hope you enjoy this side of the job, which many people feel is shrouded and covered in mystery. So join Dottie and I, grab some coffee, and let's have some coffin talk. It's Friday night, and uh, we're in a, uh, a local neighborhood close to us in a small but spacious, you know, remarkably spacious uh, living room of Christie. When we walked in, we were first greeted by her cat, Moira, a uh, black cat, very small but very um, playful. She was just uh, flopping down on the, on the floor. There's art surrounding us that um, is created by Christie, and we're here to talk to her because she is a funeral director at a local funeral home, and we're here to learn much more about um, that process and about the job of being a funeral director. Um, by the way, this is Jotty, and uh, Morgan's here too, Yeah, as always. <laughs> <laughs> and Christy, uh, say, say hello, Christy, if you don't mind. Hello, everyone. Okay, great. You want to start us off with uh, some questions, Morgan? Yeah, so... Let's talk about how I met Christy. So Coffin Talk, I'm going to plug us real quick, has an Instagram account, Coffin Talk. You can find us very easily. Um, because of what I choose to post, I have a lot of people like Death Doulas now starting oh. to follow us and other funeral directors. And I ended up being in a conversation with one. I think her name's Maud Mortician. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she actually put me in touch with Christy. And it turned out not only was she local, she's hyper local to us. Um, and it took two minutes to get here. <laughs> yeah, it's great commute. So, Maude Mortician was nice enough to introduce us, and Christy said she's willing to chat with us. So, with that, let's get started. Uh, first, Christy, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about yourself? How did you break into this job? I broke into it because I did some career testing. I took uh, Myers-Briggs test, and it showed oh. that, number one, I should have gone into religious work. Oh. Number two, uh, social work. And number three, special ed work. And all those at age 40 didn't appeal to me because of the time of schooling that I would need to put in to actually make a decent living with any of those options. Can I ask, those those jobs seem very people-oriented. Is that... Is that the the draw, do you think? Is that the link? Yes. I have always had a heart for families. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to have a very large family myself. At age 18, I imagined myself with 12 children. Uh, I never... (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I never reached that. I only have one. But I became a nanny. And over the years of babysitting and nanny work, I probably have touched quite a few more than 12 children in my lifetime. Mm. So families are very uh, dear to my heart. I've done elder care, um, and now I'm doing funeral work, so I've covered the lifespan. Oh, wow. The whole, you have covered the lifespan. I've, and just with my daughter, I mean, newborn to Mm. watching someone um, die of Alzheimer's to burying people. Mm. So... 
Do you see that then as an extension of, of, of your your caretaking? I mean, I, I know the word caretaker is in your um, field, but, or, or yeah, yeah, there's undertakers, but I never usually, you know, it associate that. It is that. a caretaking. It's a caretaking of the living that mm-hmm. are coming to us, the families that are coming to us for um, the support and the um, decisions that they need to make. Um, we're caretaking of their deceased yeah. loved one. Um, it's much of the same vein of just mm-hmm. caring for people. So, when you decided to to go for that career change, you said in your in your forties. Yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to yes. to break in? Yeah. Tell tell us about that. I. <laughs> well, I. In 2011, early um, early 2011, I was doing the career testing, career counseling, and when I saw those choices, I'm, I've never had a very deep passion for a career, so to speak, mm. because I always envisioned myself a wife and a mother, and that's what you know my heart was for, but. Um, I didn't see... I never wanted to work in a classroom. Okay. I wanted to work in a home. Yeah. Um, and I just never wanted to be behind a desk for eight hours a day either. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, being able to make use of my hands, you know. I During my time at mortuary school, I got a part-time job where I was doing cemetery groundskeeper work. Mm-hmm. And I oh. loved that, you know, I was mowing the lawn I was picking up limbs and stuff like that from the trees and oh know. thank you for clarifying <laughs> trees <laughs> I couldn't see that look on your face it was like limbs <laughs> um, you know where my head goes <laughs> so in 2011 um, the counselor that I was meeting with came back and said let's look outside the box and he came back with um funeral director and he said have you ever given this a thought because it kind of touches on social work so to speak and religious work um it really really doesn't quite but you know I didn't know what I was getting into so I said sure (laughs) um actually I had never thought of it but I was willing to have an open mind to Mm -hmm. pursuing it yeah, yeah. So I shadowed at a, a funeral home for the day, and they let me see a straight case embalming take place. Okay. And I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. So I Does thought, that well, happen a lot? Do you think in, in this job people don't know what they're getting into? I think that people who are first-generation funeral directors, mm-hmm. unless they have actually been working at a funeral home, if you're going in cold turkey, so to speak, Mm-hmm. You really don't know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and I'm only, and I'm probably speaking more for myself. I don't yeah. want to speak for other people who have yeah. gone into this, but I just know that other first generation funeral directors, meaning that they had no family yeah. ever, but, you know, in the industry, you know, you really don't get to know what it is until you're actually working in a funeral home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the reality really hit 
the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Well, do you feel like it's, um, I, it's, it sounds to me like a really fortunate experience that you were able to shadow before you, you decided to, to go for it in your I only career. did it for a day, though. Okay. <laughs> Which really doesn't prepare me ah, for Ah, tell us more. <laughs> um, well, what I didn't get to really see and witness was I didn't get to see actual funeral service take place. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see the behind-the-scenes craziness that can you yeah. know be happening all the um all the behind the scenes work like okay. work and uh you know just getting everything prepared for a service and now you say craziness is that just stress or is there is there there's a good bit of stress okay yeah and like is it the stress of of, of being on time of getting everything done or is it the stress of dealing with people or the, the stress of just the, the action of the job? Like, what do you feel like it's, is the most it's, stressful part? It's all of that. <laughs> it's, the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> it's all of that. Um, again, I'm speaking more from where I'm coming at, from my personality. Sure. Um, I will be honest, it's very stressful for me. Mm-hmm. I feel very much out of my comfort zone on a daily basis. Um, I'm more of an introvert. Yeah. I am not one for small talk. Yeah. I like to really get to know people. Okay. And where I'm at right now, um, the services happen quite quickly. Um, the burials happen between 24 to 72 hours. So yeah, they you do. don't get to really connect with the family so much that no. like in another place where you have a whole week before the service actually happens and you have multiple visits with the family, um, that type of thing. Okay. So the stress is when I go take out a graveside and I'm meeting a family mm-hmm. for the first time. I've never talked to any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't have any background on them other than the information of names Mm -hmm. um, some of the basic information I need to know uh, for the service but I have no people background for that so it makes it makes it a little uncomfortable for me now this is interesting that you say that because I would assume that um, you know I think a lot of people would assume that this would be a great job for an introvert. I mean, do you feel like it is, or do you do you think you need you need both sides? Do you think you need both sort of sets of, of, of skills? I think you definitely need people who who find it who are more extrovert. Mm-hmm. They're easier. They're able to just immediately start up a conversation. Yeah. Um, they find they they just have that knack for that immediate connection, mm-hmm. and sometimes introverts it takes us a little longer to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of feeling the person out a little bit, you know, just their personality and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's for me personally, 
my personality has been one of the stressful things to it where I've had to try to work on compensating for those things that are drawbacks mm-hmm. um, you know one of the things I'm doing is the National Funeral Directors Association has programs um, they have an arranger training certification uh-huh. that you can get um, I got a what is that ranger it's it's a ranger training is to help um, funeral directors become better arrangers arrangements work on the arrangements with families oh okay see when you say arrangements I, I think of oh, anything flower like a flowers or like yes, yeah like, like what, get it. what are we arranging <laughs> yeah. um, but you got it like the uh, okay so it's, it's so I got this financial scholarship to take the class getting you know I have to pay for my transportation to get to one of the classes um, but they also have this uh, program called Meet the Mentors which is happening next March the 10th yeah. through the 12th and it's a intense, uh, intensive mentorship program for newly licensed funeral directors, and I fell under that category still. And I got chosen to go. That sounds like a great program. So Congrats. I was, thank you. I was quite pleased. And I'm also going to in April to the professional women's conference that the NFDA provides for female funeral directors. The NFDA. The National, National Funeral okay, Directors Association. Yeah. So this year has been a year of focusing on trying to develop myself professionally, um, grow my we- my weaknesses to strengths and that type of thing. It's interesting you say that there's a women's association. You say yes. That. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of women. I mean, it's growing. That's why it's, it's the support that we need. I have need. seen that. It's the stereotypical, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, at every funeral home, it seems like it's always a male director. Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's definitely some historical mm-hmm. significance to that. Mm-hmm. Um, around the Civil War time, embalming took place, and men were the ones doing the embalming. Uh. And they figured out that they could start to make money doing oh, okay. it. And over time, the uh, industry developed into this massive association with state associations. And, um, and they've been able to make laws mm. that govern what we're allowed to do. Um, it protects the consumer as well. Um, which I think is vitally, vitally important. Good. Um, and, but women have just in the past 15 years really started to make inroads. Great. Inroads in the sense of, okay, maybe two or three women in the class versus, um, one of, uh, the funeral directors is an entrepreneur entrepreneur down in Arizona or Texas or somewhere and she uh, showed a picture that she took of the class that she was teaching some embalming techniques to and 98% of the class was women oh wow and so a lot of women now are coming into the field Mm -hmm. 
but not all of them are staying because oh. it's it is very difficult. It's still an old it's a boys club. So oh, do you think that there remains some disadvantages for women or some stereotypes or some structures that just mm-hmm. don't Yes. Oh, okay. Like it's it's when you say it's a boys club is it a lot of connections? Well, they don't believe that we can lift. Oh. They don't believe that we have the strength to do the job. I love that. It always comes down to that. Um, that we're too sensitive, which mm-hmm. I tend to, you know, kind of fall under. Which is funny because, remember I was telling you a long time ago, I was looking into a mortuary science program and I spoke to a male funeral director and he actually liked the idea of a female coming in because they can be more sensitive and more attentive to, I hate to use the word clients, but he thought the way he described it to me is that would be an advantage if anything because there's people a, could talk to you more a, a men out there that believe wholeheartedly mm-hmm. in women being involved in funeral service um and agreeing that we can handle the uh tough cases and um deal with the bodies and we just try to find ways to do it smarter you know we'll have to like turn the body Mm -hmm. um on one side to get clothing underneath lift legs up um maybe lift up the neck and shoulder area to deal with the dressing part so if you have a heavy body it's definitely challenging but there are techniques that you learn along the way and again um you know the funeral home that i did my internship up in new york one of the women who had worked who works there had been there for 13 years up to that point and it was all about working smarter finding the aids to assist you absolutely um we have those thin boards slide under slide under it's like a pizza peel (laughs) (laughs) that's great kind of wedge them under kind of roll them on and then nurses do that yeah, they have. Yeah. I mean, there's ways, like, um, I've seen, like, EMTs and paramedics do yeah. just the way you, like, hold the sheet and pull the sheet so mm-hmm. it kind of moves someone. I gotcha. And they, I mean, they, sometimes they'll teach and you. And it's also, like, when body. you're pulling the body mm-hmm. um, from the uh, bed to the stretcher or from the stretcher yeah. to the tray, um, you, st- and if it's just me, then mm-hmm. I start with the legs, pull okay. the legs over, and then work my way. Yeah. Um, so okay. I'm not having to pull the whole entire body in one yeah. pull. So, Are you comfortable kind of taking us through it? I, I guess I don't know what happens once a body comes to the funeral home. Well, it depends. We have a refrigerator, so okay. it definitely changes um, our protocol uh, versus a funeral home that does not. Mm-hmm. A funeral home that does not will tend to embalm fairly quickly just because they don't have a way of keeping the body in a proper situation for the decomposition to start happening so they have to do it right away they're clicking ticking clock yeah either that or you choose to bury or cremate fairly quickly um so they're in the fridge so they're in the fridge um that's probably not the nicest way to say it, I guess. But they're in... They're in a cooling environment. Cooling environment. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> I can... I, I'm okay with it. I don't know. But. 
Um, some of the things I, I will probably say is just the way we talk at work, and it's just the way we refer to things because... It's your job. It's easier to because say it's your job. the refrigerator and you versus don't know this person. <laughs> so we have these um, tray holders that one one holds three trays, the other holds four. Mm-hmm. So if we're particularly busy, you know they'll all be full. So you have to pull that entire thing oh. out. Okay. And that's a lot of work right there. It sounds like effort. Okay, yeah, you have to pull it. And that's effort. Yeah. And pull it, push it. We do have a hydraulic um, lift, electric hydraulic lift that's Mm -hmm. from the ceiling. That makes our work a lot easier. Okay. Versus a manual hydraulic lift that I used during my internship where you have to... Use your foot to it's press. It's like a pump. Pump it while you have the body and the straps, and you're by yourself, and you have to maneuver the body to the casket. It sounds like know? it's bouncing up and down. No, no, oh, that's it's correct. not. Um, but it's <laughs> <laughs> images, images. <laughs> but it's definitely easier to use the electric hydraulic lift versus the hydraulic or the manual hydraulic lift. Okay. So you get um, it on the tray. You get it on the tray. Um, and then this, you wait for the director to meet the family mm-hmm. and find out what the wishes are. Yeah. Um, they may choose embalming. They may not. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we have the refrigerator, the cooling system, <laughs> we can keep the body in fine condition. Or whatever the condition they come in, we can keep that for several days. Oh, good. That gives them time if they need to decide to decide Correct. things. Okay, good. Um, a lot of your smaller funeral homes will find a way to have the option of refrigeration, whether they you know, rent space from another funeral home or there's ways to get around it. Um, they might have to transfer the body someplace else if the family would desire that. So, mm. um, but a lot of funeral homes, the smaller ones, if they don't have refrigeration, you know, either the fun- funeral has to happen quicker or um, the family will need to choose embalming. Yeah. Okay. And embalming is not required by law. It's not? No. Okay. I, I don't... I guess I don't know but about the... every state's going to require that some form of preservation keeps the body. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be refrigeration. You just can't keep it in or... your closet, no. No, that's probably not a wise idea. No. And mothballs won't help people. No. Oh, no. Good good tip. <laughs> <laughs> a Rose family tip there, right there. Oh. Uh, so, okay. They, so the family decides, and if they're going the embalming route, like... Uh, to, to do you do viewings at your funeral home? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and this is one of the things I have found with this particular funeral home because we have refrigeration. We're able... You don't need to do embalming to have a beautiful viewing take place of your loved one. Oh, I didn't know that. It can, it can happen. I have witnessed it 
hundreds of times now. Are some people opposed to embalming then? Um, well, not opposed to, um, a lot of people would prefer that it be the only choice, I think, Mm. um, because nobody wants embalming to go away. There's been too much money put into it. (laughs) Always money. It is always money. Unfortunately. It's It's still a business. It is a business. Oh. When it comes down to it, everything, everything... As much as we're geared to serving the families, it always comes down to business. Okay, so so um, I don't mean to be asking awkward questions, but it always seems that, uh, you know, what I know about funeral homes is so informed by films. It's informed by the movies. I've, I, you know, saw the, the Haunting of Hill House recently Have on Netflix. Bernie? Bernie. Like oh, we- Weekend at Bernie's? No. No. Oh. No. Yes, yes. <laughs> With I, Jack Black? Yes, I did. A oh, wait a minute. A long time ago. That was like a, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> No, I just watched an um, excellent movie, um, a Japanese movie called Departures. And I just watched it over the weekend. And it's, it's about casketing. The service of casketing. Oh. Um, undertakers in Japan will hire the casketers, and they perform their ritual dressings and cleaning in front of the family. Oh, wow. That's great. I, and I know. That it's really interesting. it's very privately, it's private how it's done, but I loved it because it showed um, how caring through ritual and how precious they were caring for yeah. the but embalming wasn't taking place. It was a it was a very natural type of funeral that was gonna be happening. It seems ritualistic. It seems like something that a lot of cultures have, have done before this industry, that like the washing the body, wrapping it, it, it sounds like at least there's and, a lot of stories that I've and read. And where I work, we have that aspect. We have mm. um, a religious organization that will come in for a family, and they will do a ritual washing. Oh, really? And casket the body. And then that, that casket cannot be opened again because it's been, um, prayers have been said over it, and, and oh. the earth that they pour from the bag from the country that they are from it's just there's no embalming done we do not touch the body other than putting the body in the place that it needs where the washing will take place okay so and a lot of families get some comfort from that and it's more traditional and yes but they're most families are not watching that no they're not they don't okay no um do you sometimes wish they were? Or I, were not? <laughs> I'm not allowed to be in there when the religious organization oh, okay. is doing their work. Okay. Um, no, it's just, so it's a private... And, and the families aren't either, then. Or no, are they? No, okay. unless they're actually part of that religious okay. organization, then they could partake. Mm-hmm seems like such an intimate process it is yeah well let me ask you this because mm-hmm. um 
you're saying that like with that like with the Japanese like the way they like would the family would be there and they would kind of I feel like that's a really nice caring way to say we're gonna send you off we're gonna make sure you're clean that yes. you got something that you're washed you got something clean on we're gonna send you off nice do you feel like what do you feel do you mm, let's see Ooh. Um, do you feel like the future, the future of funeral directing and all that stuff, do you feel like we could swing back that way? Do you see like a trend of less embalming, less, um, cause cremation still does stuff. Like it still goes, like you're still burning something. Like, do you see something going back to more natural care and more, for lack of better words, hands on? Like, where do you see the future of this going? That's really tough to say because, again, when it comes down to it, it's there's a very political aspect oh. to the industry. They have their own, um, what's the word I want? The the people that in Washington D.C. that promote their so it's lobbyists. Lobbyist? Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we'll help. Um, <laughs> it's late on a Friday. Or yeah. not late on a Friday night, but it's late for my brain. Um, well, it's late enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that aspect. There's the aspect of it being a business and people need to pay for their buildings. They need to pay their staff. They need to pay their own personal bills. Um, if... It seems that the industry is, they're expecting in like 10, 15, 20 years, 80% of the industry is going to be cremation. Okay. Which really is going to impact mm -hmm. uh, funeral homes. And what's happening is that funeral homes and cemeteries are upping the prices of, oh. of those items so they can still make money from them. Yeah. Which they have to if they're going to stay in business. Yeah. Um, and they're going to stay in business because people are going to need their Always. services. Yes. Um, but there is that aspect of the green burial movement where the desire to, to support the families who do want to have a more hands-on approach, be involved in the washing, be involved mm -hmm. in the dressing, be involved in building the casket and do that from a home mm -hmm. standpoint. Mm -hmm. So with that, like... With what you're telling us, what you've dealt with, what you've been through, do you see yourself continuing this? Do you see this becoming a lifelong, instead of a job, do you see this becoming a lifelong career? Or do you see yourself in the future possibly, I want to stay within this realm, but maybe not exactly what I'm doing? Um... That's kind of a loaded question, so I yeah. apologize. No, <laughs> you know, it, I guess part of it is looking at my journey into the funeral directing. Um, one of the things, you know, getting into school, uh, mortuary school up in New York, um, I had no intention to move from South Jersey to New York in 2011, and my whole journey I've shared with you mm -hmm. through email, my whole journey has been the unexpected, the doors opening when 
I didn't know how they would open. Mm -hmm. And making the conscious choice to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Had you told me 10 years ago I would be a funeral director, I would have laughed and said, that's a really funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I don't know what 10 years from now is going to bring. I want to be open to the possibilities of continuing to grow as a funeral director, um, finding other areas in the industry that I can maybe I can teach, maybe I can be brave and bold and, and give um, convention speeches, you know, and we have conventions every year mm-hmm. um, to get our CEUs and stuff like that, give a CEU yeah. type of thing. So there's opportunities. Um, it sounds like you're very committed to to giving people more information that maybe they don't have about this process and I feel inadequate in doing so but that is but it is because I know people who know so much more than I do and about green burial about home funerals um they know these subjects in and out and I feel like I've I feel like in some ways I have not had a chance to really study it, you know, inside mm-hmm. and out because I'm, you know, I'm a single mom. I, I work a part-time job mm-hmm. as well as do oh, wow. the funeral directing full-time. That's a lot. <laughs> so, um, you know, the journey hasn't made it easy to really focus on the whole green burial stuff. Mm-hmm. I've, but I am dedicated to teaching families about what their options are because I really feel that that is definitely the future for funeral the funeral industry is to provide more options Mm -hmm. and allow families to not be put in boxes let them grieve the way they want to grieve let them handle the burial the way they want to do it or maybe the way the person actually wanted it Don, mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, it's a funeral, you're getting embalmed, you're getting a casket, you go in ground. Yeah, well, no, people don't know how to ask for those things. Right. So part of it is part of it is educating the public on what their options are. Yeah. And a lot of people have become savvy because of the Internet, yeah. of Googling things. of So uh, I want people to just be aware of what their options are. They yeah. have choices, and that's the beauty of living in our country, is that we have a lot more choices, and um, you don't need to be pigeonholed into embalming or choosing a certain casket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, finding funeral home, funeral homes that are willing to work within your budget, um, that don't push, you know, their items on you to buy. People Um, are so vulnerable at that, at that time. Do you, do you, do you see that? Very much so. But you do have your, you do have those who will try to take advantage of the funeral too. So a lot of these... (laughs) I didn't a know lot that. of a lot of funeral homes have been burned, and what? in the sense of not oh. getting paid. Okay, thank you. 
I think so, you were thinking like literally burned. Like yeah, because <laughs> I was thinking of cremation. <laughs> I'll just do it myself. I, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> this is gonna sound like a an odd question. I mean, just because of your job is is so associated with sadness and grief, but I'm really wondering what what is most satisfying about it. You know what what what's your your best day at this job my best day is when I've done my job well and I have supported my colleagues and I, that I've done everything to the best of my ability from working in the morgue to driving the hearse to coming back and working at, in the lobby to going back and doing paperwork. You really do everything. You even drive the hearse. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, and I clean there, too. I mean, so I... I'm more of the behind-the-scenes person than I am the person who is meeting the families and such. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, I want to have, have more experience with that, but it will come in time. Mm -hmm. um, so, a good day for me is when I've been able to go from one thing to the next and do them all successfully and support the people I work with mm -hmm. and help them do their jobs um, well and efficiently and support them and I think that's one of my um, hearts I want the business to succeed I want to see my co-workers yeah. succeed I want to succeed but that gives me a lot of satisfaction when I feel like I'm being a part of a whole and seeing that whole be yeah. whole. That's great. So. That's beautiful. I think that's actually a really good place to stop. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a whole lot. <laughs> I love that the Mod Mortician put us in contact with each other. I love speaking to you every time I talk to you. I think... Now, you guys didn't see, obviously, the email that went back and forth between Christy and I, but... Her, and you're welcome to share. Yeah, with her. and I'll send it to you, uh, Dottie. Her full story is amazing. Um, maybe we'll have her back on, and we can talk about other things. Maybe we can get into the ooky stuff. Um, maybe not. But um, thank you again for joining you're us. Welcome. It was a pleasure having you. I totally enjoyed talking to you every time. I enjoyed and, talking um, with you, Morgan, and with you, Dottie. Thank yeah. you. So thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Morgan again, just want to say thanks for listening to another episode of Coffin Talk. Some upcoming episodes will be Death and Movies. We'll also be covering Death and the Black Plague, aka the Bubonic Plague. If you want information on these episodes, along with future episodes, you can find Coffin Talk on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, just do a search for Coffin Talk and you'll find our page. On Instagram, you can do a search for Coffin underscore talk and find us that way. We're pretty regular posting on Instagram, so I would suggest starting there first. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or ideas for upcoming episodes, 
please comment on our Facebook page, comment on our pictures that we post on Instagram, or as the kids say, slide into a DM and let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you. Stay living.